Welcome to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And I can't believe we haven't done a lot of this before on this program, but today it's our short attention spans that take over. <laughs> right? Yes. So we're going to spend the first segment on things we're thinking about food-wise. Right. I know that you have a story about clams. clams. I would like to talk about That's, the clams. I mean, do you want to open with the clams? I do. So then... We get to the middle of the program. Chris Amendola is going to join us from uh, his restaurant Foraged in town. Yeah, excited to see him. And has a lot of time and experience in foraging for mushrooms. It's the, probably the prime time of the year for it, mm-hmm. now and in the spring. So Chris is going to join us, and we can ask him all of the questions we should already know the answers to. <laughs> yes. And while we discredit ourselves, he will, he will educate the <laughs> listeners delightfully. He's younger than we are, Tony. You know, they didn't have foraging uh, as a real no. thing when we were coming up. I've not lived in the forest. It was just done, right? Yeah. yeah. No, me either. I've never lived in and the forest. And then, um, mm-hmm. because it's that time of the year, I'm going to do a little bit of a primer, and you can prompt me on Piemontese I'm wine excited for to the hear third about segment. that. And we've been there this time of the year, and it was so beautiful, so that'll be fun to talk about. So... So tell us all about the clams. clams. So what one, kind of clams? One day I was, well, we, we would use Little Necks. When I used to work in Charleston, South Carolina, I worked for a gentleman uh, by the name of Marcelo Vasquez. And he was my chef mentor. Um, this was at the very beginning of my career. I, I worked in a restaurant called Silks in the Planters Inn. Uh, I did my apprenticeship there. And then uh, a little bit later, I after, well, I actually did my externship at uh, Marcelo's restaurant from culinary school, and then I became a sous chef when I graduated. And he was teaching me how he wanted to make uh, this little neck clam dish, which I was super excited about because I'd, I'd really never eaten clams fresh before. Um, that wasn't something I grew up on and um, couldn't wait. And so he would make his own pork sausage. And being from Argentina, he... Um, he, he definitely liked a little bit of spice in some of his cooking, but he did lean uh, certainly more towards either uh, traditional Argentine cooking or French cooking. He, he loved French food, as I do. And um, so the dish was you would make a seafood stock, um, whatever we had. Oftentimes we would just boil shrimp shells, uh, or if we did have liquor uh, from the clams from steaming them open from something, obviously we could use that broth. And white wine, it's it's really simple and it's really good, and it's one of the reasons why I want to share it. So a really great pork sausage, that you, a bulk sausage that you could buy, um, and or you can make it yourself, and um, you want little pieces of uh, ground pork, garlic, shallot, onion, uh, everything, the, the garlic and shallots should be finely chopped, the onion should be small dice, white wine, and um, and the clams. And it's, you know, just darn that simple. Um, and he would always finish the dish with a little bit of great extra virgin olive oil. And this was before there were a lot of choices with olive oil. I mean, this was in the uh, late 80s. And, um, you know, you, you didn't even talk about when the olive oil was harvested back then, right? Um, or worry too much about the age. But anyway, so you would, you know, make the broth Use that to steam, you know, wash your clams really well. Uh, sometimes we will soak them in cornmeal to make sure they're really clean, and um, that's a purging process. But however, always, you know, wash them well, scrub the shells, have them prepared, ready to go, and, um, you know, get the broth going, put the clams in, put a lid on it, steam them open, and um, and that's it. Just finish it with the olive oil. But while that was happening one day, Tony, I have uh, asked me why I would want to continue this story about the clams. Yeah, I wonder where the story part of the clams was. <laughs> 
Like that's that's a dandy that's a dandy little recipe. Very simple. <laughs> Where's the story? So Marcelo spoke five languages fluently, and one of his best friends uh, in town was Serge Claire, who was an absolute character from Provence, um, and um, he uh, had a restaurant called Marianne on King Street in Charleston. It was very 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 popular. There was always a line out the door for this restaurant, and he had an old stove in his. Uh, in the dining room, they did a lot of table side in that restaurant. I remember they had to shut it down one night because the waiters did uh, had a battle who could flame higher. Ended up ca- catching some lady's wig on fire, which then caught the curtains on fire. So they had to stop doing um, table side flambe for a little. <laughs> it just kills me. I'm just thinking about my experience where I watched a. a I would love to. A gentleman named Paul Hanley mm-hmm. just. Just set the curtains on fire at the Governor's <laughs> Club, right on Utah Street here in Baltimore. Oh my gosh. It's like, okay, Paul Hanley. All right, there we go. So um, anyway, so this night, um, Marcelo was extremely angry, which happened every now and then. I adored him. I mean, absolutely a, a wonderful, wonderful man, but he did have a little bit of a temper. And he was screaming at someone, and it was getting kind of ugly. And um, and the person he was screaming at that I, I won't say who that was um, – called Serge to come down and calm Marcelo down. So I see Serge Claire walking in the back door with two huge glasses of red wine and a bottle. I mean, because he could walk down to the restaurant and um, came in. And and then behind him was one of his waiters who had uh, an entire copper pot full of bouillabaisse with eel in it that I had never experienced in my life. So what turned out to be a great recipe, learning how to make clams, turned into everyone drinking red wine in the kitchen in the middle of service and eating bouillabaisse made with eel. It was a life-changing experience for me. So that's my clam story. I have a negative clam association. Uh-oh. Well, you have a, yeah, an anchovy negative association well, as well. Well, I do, but mm-hmm. no, the, the clam, it's a very simple cooking thing. I was given clams to steam open for at, at one of my first jobs at Union League in Philadelphia, and I, I'm given all these clams to steam open, and I steam them open, and being clams, they don't all open in the exact same moment. They're just like that, aren't they? They're it was my It was my introduction to Jean-Pierre's <laughs> temper. Uh-oh. Which was... The chef? Monumental. Your chef, yeah. yes. And that, you know, he had like 2,000 lunches a day to get out of that kitchen. Mm. So that wow. he... Well, some reason He was a little on edge. <laughs> but very precise from Alsace and just lost his mind when he saw that I had not been able to get all the clams to open at the same time. Oh, no. In the same moment. That seems a bit unreasonable. Then what happened? I just took China and threw it against the wall. Oh. <laughs> Normal. <laughs> and this was in the 80s, too, probably. Yeah, this is yeah, probably 87, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I was in culinary school in 87. All right. Yeah. What's What's the worst thing that ever happened to you in a kitchen? Very interesting memories, more than negative memories, for the most part. Mm. My first job in the, the dish room, I <laughs> had to work in front of the hot water heater. Wow! So if you leaned, you you would roast your backside oh on that hot water heater. So I have I have a negative association there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, what for me, I mean, I never had really any bad, you know, this is something writers like to ask. So, you know, what negative things happened to you or whatever, or even as a female, you know, and I, I never had any bad experiences. I worked with really wonderful, amazing people. And then, I mean, for me, I think for you too, you were a manager when you were quite young. I was an executive chef by the time I was 25 years old. So I was running the kitchens. You know, I opened, I opened Marcella's restaurant in Knoxville, Tennessee when I was 25. 
So, you know, it's, it's, if you're leading the kitchen, you're going to have less problems. Your story about clams got very negative. <laughs> okay, let's go positively. <laughs> positively, it's funny. We're thinking about mushrooms, thinking about Pimonte wines in the fall. I think about birds. I think about game birds. Mm-hmm. We got magnificent pheasants mm-hmm. to make a ragu with for peachy, real, real peachy pasta, a Tuscan shape. Great. You know, it's a, it's a little bit thicker, and you really have to nail the cooking of it. And uh, and for a wine event, we had done this. And it was very fun to just talk the one sous chef through every step of making this ragu in exactly the right way. And, you know, that searing it the right way, braising it the right way. You, you braised the whole bird or or the legs or... Seared it, pulled the bones to make stock, made a double stock with that with chicken stock mm-hmm. and the pheasant, and a little bit of porcini, just a little bit, and uh, and then braised the bird, pulled it, got all the fat out of that, the little bit of fat that's in the skin there. Yeah, there's some pockets. Got, got all of that. Mm-hmm. Cheated with a little bit of duck fat. Oh, nice. It, it, that's not cheating. When, when you sear it, no, it's <laughs> that's just meaningful. Just when, when you sear it, oil <laughs> in the pan and a little bit of duck fat, uh-huh. just to you know give it a, just just a little bit of a boost, and um, very simple seasoning, um, good wine. I mean, you, you have to. We, we used a little bit of uh, Rosa de Montalcino, mm. and um, and that stock for the braising that that had been made, and pulled that. It's just beautiful. Just Sounds beautiful. great. What's the pasta shape? Peachy. What does uh, it look? It looks like um, th- just thicker round spaghetti. Okay. Mm, yum. It's yeah. It's a very particular. Like if you get it wrong, someone from Tuscany is gonna mm. holler at you. <laughs> sure. And cooking it is very easy to do it wrong. Like you don't want to buy dried peachy because it ne- it's never you have to overcook it on the road to try to get to al dente. Okay. It, it, it never works. Yeah, I'm going to buy guinea fowl this week. Uh, I think I'm going to buy it you know, for the weekend, and I'm excited because we've been working with the Rohan ducks, which I'm just in love with. And Everado, we've been u- utilizing absolutely every aspect of it. We, the wings are pretty big on those birds, and they actually have a decent amount of meat on them. So we've been confiting those with the legs and then uh, Evers pulling the meat off of that and making mm. ravioli. Now, those birds have good fat. Oh my gosh, they Pheasant, have great Pheasant fat. has really low body <coughs> fat. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess they're big flyers. Guinea fowl are not. No, right. They just kind of run about. So, mm-hmm. But with the Rohan duck, um, you know, he's making the, the ravioli and serving it in duck broth uh, with a little bit of shiitake mushrooms and reggiano and chives. It's so good. But um, the leg meat, we're serving just straight leg with a, with a pumpkin risotto, which is a lot of fun. And um, and then ro- and the breast just roasted on the bone. And um, I was I was cooking online last night, and, man, those, those breasts are just <laughs> – it's just – I couldn't help myself. Every now and then I had to cut off a little piece for my myself. and um, A little it's Scooby just, snack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, it was just really fantastic. Rohan duck, ver- very different from magre. I mean, a little bit like really bacon are, duck. They're very different. You, you, to get the flavor right, to get the texture right, you cook it a little more than a magre. Oh, definitely. 
Yeah, we're we're roasting the breast to medium medium well for sure, and um, yeah, they're just they're just the flavor is just so sweet. And when it comes when you crisp up that skin and it comes out of the pan, it's just like. And the and the and the confit legs, oh, I I mean, it literally smelled like heaven every time it came. I couldn't stand it when it came into the window. I wanted to eat it so badly. But you said you were getting guinea fowl. Oh, but we're gonna get guinea fowl, and I think I'm gonna, um, you know, we'll serve the breasts as you know, probably roasted on the bone as well. But I want to confit those legs and take the livers and do pithivier because I've always wanted to do that ever since I had it at Michel Garrard, and I I've not really ever done it, and um, I'm just super excited to uh, get my hands on and do that. And we're getting porcinis this this week, so I'm excited to. When you said porcinis, this what made made me think of it. So now we finally get porcini. It's been difficult to get porcinis this year. It has. Um, and that's not something we see in the area. We can double check with Chris when Chris comes on. Yes. Next segment. He'll know. But we've gotten all kinds of goodies, but we've not gotten porcinis. Um, but yeah, they're, when they're coming, all, all I ever want, one, I think about that Joelle Robochon dish with um, the eggplant caviar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the little... You know, very finely sliced, beautifully grilled, grilled porcini, lightly grilled porcini slices, and then crispy little eggplant One. pieces, and then two, is a, a, a bruschetta mm. with you know really nice, like plenty of good strong flavored olive oil. You grill it, the bread, and and like a rustic something, you know, something that has real texture to it, something that has shape that will have crunch, and. Uh, and just a simple saute, you know, like the perfect little saute of yeah. slices of porcini as a quarters of small porcinis <sighs> yeah, and that sort hungry. of thing. So you get like the texture. It's not like just a fine little sliver, but mm-hmm. you get the you, you get the texture and the little bit of crispy on that. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see them come in. You throw that in a pan with a little bit of thyme and, and a little bit of garlic. And, mm-hmm. Yum. And uh, This is such a great time of the year to cook. It is. So inspirational. My, my all-time favorite, that's funny, I made a sandwich one time like that because I like sandwiches and you don't. But I made a sandwich with uh, a mayonnaise, like an aioli, a little bit of garlic, fresh thyme, mm-hmm. lots of thyme. And uh, that was just like the greatest thing. So we started, I mean, at the restaurant, we started putting yeah. just blobs of that uh, mayonnaise <laughs> on the plate. And everyone started eating in the bruschetta with a knife and fork and dipping it in. I'm like, yes, <laughs> you get it. Yum. <laughs> you get it. Anyway, now I'm hungry for mushrooms. Yes, me too. And so when we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, uh, we're going to talk more mushrooms. We're going to talk mushroom foraging with Chris Amendola from Foraged Restaurant mm-hmm. uh, here in Baltimore. And uh, we can fill us in on WIPR. Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we have with us today Chris Amendola from Foraged Restaurant (laughs) here in Baltimore. So excited. And uh, so we're we're talking about a variety of things of the season. It's, you know, we're we're headed towards the holidays and all food's autumnal. And it's actually a little bit of a short attention span program because Cindy already told stories about 
clams and bad behavior and I told a little bit of those too and, <laughs> and, and, and some birds and then it went to porcinis and it's been difficult this year to get porcinis from people. Yeah, I heard, uh, well, I mean, I think across the board, the mushroom season this year has been, it was really weird. It was, it was really rough. Um, we didn't, we didn't see a lot of the normal mushrooms that we, we well, generally we, get around here. We, we, we had all that heat. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, lots, hey, lots of heat and no rain. Yeah. He, he, here, dr- yeah. here drier. Cause we didn't have the heat as much here. Mm-hmm. So Chris, take, take a second and introduce yourself to people. Who are you? Tell us about your restaurant. You know, what, what do you do there? All right, all right. So, uh, uh, obviously, my name is Chris Amendola. I'm the chef owner of uh, Forged, a hyper seasonal eatery. Um, chef owner, so you know, I run the day to day operation as well as uh, running the kitchen, and you know, kind of keeping it moving. And so, you say hyper seasonal eatery. What what's the mission? What's the goal? So hyper seasonal uh, to me, you know, I, I, people kind of latched onto that farm to table. Uh, so I wanted to get away from that and, you know, kind of shed light on the stuff that had a shorter season, you know, within the seasons. Um, it kind of, you know, everybody knows the major stuff in the seasons, but, you know, to me, there's 52 seasons a year and each week has something mm. new to bring mm. to the menu and new to showcase. And, um, you know, that's that was kind of my mission with the restaurant is to just shed the light on the stuff that you know, has a lot shorter of a window. And you're, but you're serving seafood and oh, yes. birds and all, everything, right? Oh, yeah, meat, right? seafood, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny, we've kind of gotten a little bit of a, a vegetarian, vegan, um, sure. you know, face to us, but, you know, people are kind of like, oh, you serve pig face? Like, that's weird, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's, it's funny. <laughs> Sometimes you got a pig face. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so... What got you into foraging, and what? Where you know? I'm not going to ask you for all the places you go look for mushrooms. <laughs> well, he won't tell us anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, so I that's know. easy. It's, it's the woods. <laughs> it's, that, that's, it's that's around here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. North. Uh, so, what got me into foraging? Um, so, way back in the day, uh, when I was getting into cooking, I got a hold of a French Laundry Cookbook and. Um, saw there's the whole chapter in there about foraging and, you know, whatnot. And I was like, oh, man, that'd be so cool to, you know, be able to go out and get product and, you know, and cook it. And growing up in Florida, I didn't really think there was all that down there. You know, knowing now there is like that plus way more. But uh, when I moved to South Carolina and was working for a chef there, uh, he took me out a couple times and, you know, I was just like mind blown. And then it just was like. What did itch. you find? What did you find there? Uh, chanterelles and uh, a bunch of wild plants and stuff like that. Uh, didn't get into mushrooms until way later, and I, I met the forger for the Mamafuku Restaurant Group, and he took me out a few times and showed me morels and matsutakis wow. and all kinds of stuff. Where so, was this? Up in Massachusetts in oh, the Berkshires. Gosh. Okay, cool. Where did you work in South Carolina? I uh, worked at McCready's for Sean Brock. I forgot about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was awesome. So that you were foraging in Charleston, then. That's cool. I forgot you worked there. Very cool. So have you ever uh, found porcinis in this area? Not in this area. uh, The the altitude here is not high enough. Uh, Up in Massachusetts, though, we used to to find them a lot. Um, What a gift. Random fact about porcinis, they love to grow in cemeteries. 
Ew. If you if you check cemeteries, <laughs> you're guaranteed to find porcini mushrooms. It's as the, long as the cemetery is at altitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, but it's it's the most random thing ever. It's it's crazy. Wow, that's funny. Interesting. So we've had, you know, we we get the foragers that just kind of show up at times. Had a had a fellow show up with a sixteen and a half pound chicken in the woods. <laughs> One piece <laughs> mushroom. It's beautiful. Last week, it, it was amazing that we put it on a uh, like a you know like a cake, de- cake decorating spinner. Okay. And took a little video of just like turning the thing. <laughs> it looked like flames. You know, it was just amazing. Yeah, they're wow. beautiful mushrooms. They get, oh my great God. flavor. No they, idea they could they be get, that big. They get huge. Oh, I've, there's one spot in springtime uh, that I get. Something like that, maybe even bigger, like 20, 25 pounds, like one mushroom. Wow. Like, it's hard to carry it out of the woods, you know? It's <laughs> that's a long walk yeah, back. Yeah, yes. yeah, I have mushroom risotto you for the next eight months. 30 pound mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else do you find around here? Uh, pretty pretty much all the major ones. Uh, anything from morels to chanterelles and trumpets, um, hens and chickens, um, just. Hens and chickens, you mean hen of the woods, hen of the chicken woods. of the woods. He's chicken of the woods. And these are different mushrooms. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the only ones that I don't tend to find around here are like porcini and matutaki and hedgehogs. I don't really see a whole lot. Um, yeah, no one's ever brought a hedgehog yeah, to yeah, us. Yeah, unfortunately. I those love those some, darn things. Oh, my oh God, my. they're so good. <laughs> they just have intense flavor. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, It's funny. For risotto, that's like my all-time... Like porcini is a nice for risotto, but if you can get hedgehogs, oh, they're amazing. The, the, tex- the texture of them too, yeah. and they're so meaty. Oh my god, they're so good. What else do you forage for besides mushrooms? Uh, some plants. A lot of springtime in springtime, I forage for plants like ramps and fiddlehead ferns, um, and they've really passed that. It's fruits, uh, wine berries, and pawpaws, and you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. I know you posted something uh, this past spring about people not doing something correctly. Oh. I'd love to get that out there <laughs> so that, that the areas aren't destroyed. Oh, that was that was so sad to see. Devastating, I've been, I'm sure. I would, I've been going to this fiddlehead fern spot for, I don't know how long have I been in Baltimore now, like nine years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the very first spots I found. And it's, it is a big spot for fiddlehead ferns. And for years, I never saw evidence of any anybody else being there. You know, I'd just go there, harvest, and um, not worry about it. And this past year, I went, and there was this family there, and I was looking around, and they literally harvested everything, like even full-grown ferns, like literally everything. And I was just in shock, like why would you do this? You know, I was sitting there trying to tell them, you know, you can't do that. Like, it's not going to come That's back. Awful. So the, is the pa- patch not, then it, it can't grow back? because I'll, I'll be interested to see what happened to it this coming spring. Um, because, so if the you cut everything down, uh, the plant's going to try and refocus its energy to grow back more, more uh, leaves, uh, but then not have enough energy to put out the... Um, the one that how it uh, reproduces. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm really interested to see what well, happens it, here. I hope it comes back. Me too. No, with 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 mushrooms, you either harvest them or they go away. 
Uh, well, actually, mushrooms. So the the majority of the network for mushrooms is underground. You know, you have people like screaming and yelling about not harvesting all the mushrooms, but for mushrooms, it doesn't really matter uh, because when we see mo- mushrooms, it's the fruiting body of the mycelium. So either way, it's going to come back. Uh, I have spots I've been going to for nine years now for mushrooms and every year like clockwork they come back uh because of the, the mycelium under underground yeah it's always the same thing but you know travels in europe that you know it's the same tree yeah it's the yeah same tree. yeah it's it's that symbiotic relationship with the with the trees and stuff so it's not much you can do to hurt hurt those uh production that's good to know. Do you, so do you have a desire to go truffle hunting? I would love to go yeah. truffle hunting. I want to go truffle hunting with you someday. Uh, that oh would be gosh. a fun trip. <laughs> that would be fun. I've always wanted to go. So, you know, maybe we should plan that some, I'm, sometime. I'm totally down for that. Yeah, yeah. There's so many great videos now that you can watch. And um, it's just such a magical sort of mystical, oh, yeah. you know, process. Yeah, and, I, I met some foragers a couple of years ago that said they were pulling white truffles out of Maryland. What? And I was like... Really? Uh, like, uh, really? I was like, you know, uh, but they, they were, you know, pretty dead on about their get on, getting them under hemlock trees. And I was like, well, let's go one day. And, right. And then I never heard back from them. So, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's I, I have a very hard time believing that. that uh, yeah. One, it's not a mushroom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, it's actually a vegetable. It's a, it's a root. And the white truffle. White truffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It doesn't have any of the textural components that black truffles have that almost like crunchy oh, yeah, yeah, texture. It's one of the best things about it. Have you worked with white truffles this year at all? Or I haven't haven't gotten They're any just so yet this year. It's crazy expensive. Yeah, I've been trying to get somebody to find some domestic ones for me, but no luck yet. I've worked with some. Uh, we, we've gotten them twice this year, and I, I literally I haven't bought them in many, many. I mean, it, long before COVID, I wasn't buying them because the prices had gone like to four thousand a pound or something. Uh, they weren't quite as expensive this year, so we bought small quantities. But it sure was fun to get to smell that uh, smell that and smells oh, it's, it's so, so intoxicating. intoxicating. <laughs> 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 You're reminding me of a restaurant uh, that I've been to many times that I, that was went with you at least one if not more times, in uh, La Morra, in the Barolo zone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, called Bovio. And Bovio is a marvelous place. It's this incredible vista. And in season, uh, they'll have a cloche, like a glass cloche over a pile. I mean, <laughs> you know, like so many rocks. Oh, my God. It's just hard of, to of believe. When you see it, you're like, wait, what? And no. When, <laughs> Bring that over here. So what, I want to so, see that right so now and you, smell it. You get your tidying, <laughs> and they ask, would you like some? And then they will we'll go and lift the cloche, and you're already like, okay, I'm going to lay on the floor. <laughs> yep. And yep. then they come and will shave the the entire little rock mm-hmm. over your, it's so you know, amazing. and cover oh your God. entire pl- It's ridiculous. That's amazing. Yeah, friends of mine are there right now and just ate a bovio last night and sent me pictures. And I'm like, oh, you're literally torturing me right now. I wish I was there right now. And it's so beautiful in that region right now. And we were talking earlier, we've been there at this time of the year. And obviously, and I mean, the you know, seeing the vineyards start to turn bright, you know, rich reds and oh, yellows man. and I just, I'd never seen the vineyard. I'd never been during that fall time. So to see the colors in the regions and it's all hilly and so seductive and oh, just man. gorgeous. And, that sounds amazing. Oh, it's lovely, lovely. But Bovio is a great restaurant. So while we've got you, um, 
two, maybe two favorite local mushrooms that you frequently get, and what what do you like to do with them? Maybe maybe a recipe or two. Oh man, so two favorite mushrooms, definitely black trumpets. I I love black trumpets. Love black trumpets. Uh, just the even the smell of them is just it's amazing. Um, and then I'd probably have to say morels, uh, just because it's like the first mushroom to come up every year. Uh, and like with both those, like I'll just saute them in some butter and thyme and garlic, and I eat them eat them just like that, and it's it's heaven. Perfection. Oh yeah, yeah. How do you wash your morels? How do you care for them? Uh, very quickly. Uh, just give them a quick rinse in some water, and and then get them as dry as fast as possible. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'll save the water and take it out to the woods and up on the farm and try and uh, inoculate some trees out there. That's awesome. So that's awesome. You're so amazing. That's super cool, Chris. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. So you. Uh, that's right. I'm going with your next recipe. Oh, sorry, I want to interrupt you. Um. Honestly, with mushrooms, like, and just a nice risotto, or even, the, like, the mushroom stew that we make, I just, I love it. Like, I love it. <laughs> we started making, um, at one restaurant, purely for a restaurant week, so that we had a vegetarian entree, uh, a mushroom lasagna. We put a lot of care into it, mm. you know, and it, w- it was a whole variety of, of mushrooms and eggplant and bechamel. It's, it's not a complicated dish in particular. We cannot take it off the menu. Hmm. It it genuinely just <laughs> kind of so went great. crazy. Yeah. I love that. But <laughs> if you think about, I mean, that all, all of that, you know, slow and roasted all together, you know, you crisp up the edges on the on the pasta a little bit, and and you give it a nice fonduta and, and some bright Italian red wine. Delicious. Okay. You know, yeah. and Barbera or something like that. So that's oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. just like the mushroom stew. Like I think yeah. there would be riots if I took that off the menu. Oh, that's, yeah, I'm sure. that's the only dish that's been on the menu for five years consistently now. And even in summertime when it's hundred degrees outside, we're still selling them like crazy. <laughs> it's like, are you guys okay? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's funny. It's that's funny. Great. Well, mushrooms are a little bit polarizing though, because I can even think of. I mean, there's a fellow we worked with for a really long time. That's like mushrooms. No thanks. Why do you think people are off-put? I th- I think they just haven't had them cooked properly. I, I agree. Th- or either <coughs> that or they get, like, when they were a kid, they got those white button mushrooms that's in what, a jar. I and think that's where it starts. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, but, I hated those when I was a kid. I hated oh, see, mushrooms I, I because of that. I those when I was oh, a kid. Oh, that's so funny. I used to eat you those were... right out the jar. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I thought those were gross when I was that's a kid. Funny. That's funny. Of course, you were uh, meant to be you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my great-grandmother <laughs> picked, got, would buy a whole lot of little white button mushrooms <laughs> and unsurprisingly pickled them. And they were a tiny bit spicy, and Ooh, man, nice. they were good. Mm. I just love. I I had a salad at uh, Three Star in Paris one time, and they had julienne, large, beautiful white uh, button mushrooms, and they were raw, and they were in amongst like almost like a, a very fine pommes frites. Mm. For uh, it was a piece of wagyu, and that was how they. Pre- oh my gosh! And the, I just I love when they're that fresh, that gorgeous, when you can eat them raw, too. I, okay. mean, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. a lot of people think of that, but, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, that, that was a delicious I, I feel like white-button mushrooms get a bad rap for, you know, to those jarred mushrooms, but I, I think when they're fresh and, oh, you I know, love them. They're, they're amazing. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So you have a farm now, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, or a piece of land? This, this year we didn't quite do a whole lot up, up there, but, uh, 
you know, with the rush taking over the new restaurant space, it was just a lot. So mm-hmm. yeah, kinda, you you don't have enough to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully next year though we'll get it back up and running, and Great. we still got all our chickens and stuff. So that's always entertaining. How many chickens do you have? We are up to like twenty eight now. <laughs> that's awesome. It's amazing. I would I love, love to it. have chickens. So you have you had any problems with foxes or anything? Oh, we had one instance uh, where a fox got into the coop, and it was it was a disaster. But oh, that's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, for it got like like seven chickens all oh in gosh. one go, and I was like, "How did it do that?" Like that's wild. awful. Well, they'll also they'll do it just for fun. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That when I had my farm, I the man that that worked my farm for me used to live on the farm, mm. and. Um, they they had the farm for like 50 years or whatever. They tried to raise chickens there. And when I said I w- would like to start raising chickens, he was like, no, you're not going to. It's not going to work. It's yeah. just not going to work. The foxes. And I had a fox den on my property, oh. which I didn't realize, obviously, mm. when I bought it, which is, you know. But, yeah. Yeah. So they were always around. And uh, uh, I have to say little baby foxes, pretty darn cute. Th- they are cute. Mm-hmm. I, d- I do agree mm-hmm. with that. <laughs> <laughs> just don't eat the chickens, please. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Is the last question, and then we'll let you go because you have plenty to do. Is there a guide that you follow that helps you know that mushrooms are safe or not safe? What, what is what is the best reference? So, so my go-to is the uh, it's the Audubon Society field guide for wild mushrooms. Um, it's it's definitely the one I keep with me, and and you know if I see something I don't really know. I'll, Take the time and sit there and look it up. Uh, it's got good pictures, good references. Um, so I'd highly suggest that one. That's great to know. Thanks. And the mushrooms that like pop up after rain on my neighbor's yard. <laughs> I'd probably suggest not eating those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> thank you, Chris, for, yeah, for so good uh, to visiting see you. with us. So good to see you guys. I love you, Chris. And, and talking mushrooms and foraging. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. May your new restaurant do very, very, very well. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that was Chris Amendola from Forage Restaurant here in Baltimore. When we come back on Formidable Phone Food and Wine, uh, we'll have a little more mushroom chatter, Mm -hmm. Chef and I, and then uh, I'm going to spend some time on Piemontese wine. Excellent. Fun. Formidable Phone Food and Wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Jeff Cindy Wolf. So this is this has been kind of like our organic show. We're mm-hmm. just we're just flowing. <laughs> so we're leaving mushroom foraging. Well maybe not the idea of mushrooms, because now we have mushrooms in the brain. Let's spend a minute or two on cooking with mushrooms. Maybe a recipe or two. And then we'll do a, a concise Piemonte wine wine brief. Yeah, I was I was curious to see how Chris deals with washing his mushrooms because that's always such a a task. You never, you know, you don't mushrooms are like sponges, so you don't want them to absorb water, and um, but yet you need to clean them. So it was interesting to hear, and yes. then fascinating to hear that he saves the water and then can, you know, make that productive. That's super cool. But um, so, some some things, I mean, like morels, they beg you to futz with them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, they, they always have little bits of they sand. They have way too or, many pockets. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah, they're not a smooth surfaced item. They have a whole lot of places for hiding of bad things. But yeah, it, you know, honestly, I soak mine and I, I wish we didn't have to. But, um, you know, that is that is uh, yeah, there's a process to it. But, you know, with with something like the porcinis that we're getting in this week, um, as far as a recipe, I, I one of the things you have to be conscious of is that they they can have worms. So, you know, if you've got that situation, you're discarding what you're working with and cleaning your board and sanitizing and, you know, your knives and your hands and everything. But um, with a beautiful porcini, they do have gills and um, I like to remove them. I don't find them to be desirable. Uh, so you just use a small spoon to just scoop them right out. And um, and then, you know, you're the, going to... The gills are what's underneath the cap. Right. And and you're going to have a little bit... And I usually, uh, with a porcini, I just wipe them with a wet towel. I do not put them in a sink of water. Um, and um, so each mushroom's different. And, uh, you know, and, and then you're going to slice them however thick you want. But... Uh, one of the things I was thinking about doing was serving it with one of our pastas and just, uh, you know, sort of celebrating sort of an the mushroom itself. So if you have uh, a, a little bowl that you can even put over top of the, the boiling pot um, to melt the butter, which is a fun, fast way to deal with it, um, you can actually toss your pasta right in that warm bowl with the butter. I like to add a little bit of garlic to that, a little bit of um, uh, already butter poached garlic and shallot, actually, a little bit of pepper. And you can do rosemary or thyme, um, one or the other, and uh, in small quantity. I don't think you want a lot of that. And then a little kosher salt and freshly cracked black pepper. And just toss your pasta, whichever one you pick, um, you know, with the porcini. But I love the idea of a wide, flat noodle for the porcinis. That just sounds, you know, the buttery noodle with a beautifully executed porcini sounds great to me. Hearing you, it's funny hearing you talk about the porcini with pasta i love mushrooms with corn mm-hmm. i'm just thinking about as good as your grits are yeah yeah how nice it would be to have a really flavorful mushroom maybe in and not in tiny pieces mm-hmm. you know with with those on, like creamy la- grits. laid out on top well we also do it with our polenta so our creamy polenta that's actually my favorite way to serve the morels um is on top of the creamy polenta I mean, those two things together are just magical. I love them. And, um, yeah, and it's quite rich. It can be quite rich. You don't need a very large portion of that, you know, and that's a nice, you know, middle course. I mean, maybe you've had a uh, a lighter brothy soup first, and then you have the little bit of creamy polenta with the porcinis, and then you end up with a rack chop, a lamb rack chop, or, you know, some sort of braised short rib or something like that after. Actually, a piece of braised short rib on top of that creamy polenta with some porcini mushrooms with a little braising reduction, heavy on red wine. That would be very delicious. Maybe not spa cuisine, but, you know. No, I, I don't I don't major in that. No, you don't. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it's the other thing that with porcinis coming, I like porcinis and stuffings for, th- you know, for birds. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's awfully mm-hmm. nice to have with... Whether it's like if we can get nice pheasants again, guinea fowl, anything that it helps keep that bird moist. That's one I would stuff a cavity because mm-hmm. it does help keep it moist. Um, but yeah, guinea fowl certainly works. I'm excited to get those in. Yeah, mushrooms are just 
you know, it always kind of makes me sad when a guest says they don't like, you know, I don't want the mushrooms on that dish. And and I get it. You know, as we talked about earlier, it comes probably from some bad childhood memory or some bad experience with mushrooms. But if you know what you're doing, mushrooms can be one of the very best things to work with and the very one of the very, very best things to eat, quite frankly. Well, in this time of the year, no, in, in Piemonte, mm-hmm. it's not just white truffles. It's about to be the beginning of black truffles there. Porcinis are all over the place. Mm-hmm. A lot of Italy, because of all the mountains, have porcini. Yeah. From from Piemonte down to Calabria, it's kind of crazy. But I've spent a lot of time recently talking with, with people about wine from Piemonte and trying to help them get straight what is what. Because in the States, we think of things by their great varietal names. Right. So you think Cabernet Sauvignon... Now we're just beginning to think like Napa is important, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's happened in the last thirty years, and we know Sonoma County. Well, those are very different places climactically, and they give different wines. So, imagine having a place where there's one most important grape, and in Piemonte is Nebbiolo. But it grows in a pretty big area that yeah. not just in the Borolo zone. There are eleven villages there in mm-hmm. that zone, mm-hmm. but there are three in Barbaresco, and there are like fourteen other towns that make specific like name for the place wines from the Nebbiolo grape. Okay. So La Sona, Boca, Gatinara, Carema, Geme, and so and so on and so on. Um, Spana, you know that. Some of these things don't even get sent to the U.S. at all. But historically, those have been the most important wines because of their ageworthiness, because of their complexity, uh, because of the pleasure that they bring. And so that it's clearly defined in Piemonte for red wines that one grape that's the most important is Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo means clouds. Mm. Olo is a diminutive. So it's... The vineyards on the hillsides where the small clouds are in the morning. Such a beautiful place. And that that's where all the best vineyard sites are for that grape. How how have you seen that region change over all the years that you've been buying from them? I've I've watched I've, I've not really seen the region change other than um these giant that's funny, we I was joking about it with Domenico Clerico, God rest him. Uh, I'm like, Domenico, they're all these birds, these giant birds. <laughs> It's like, what are you talking about? It's all the construction cranes. Oh. People, like, Barolo was becoming more popular, wow. and, and people were mm-hmm. building more cellars, and they were able to, like, afford to, like, advance their facilities and that sort of thing. So the change I've seen has all been been human and economic, mm-hmm. and it's been interesting to watch. And sometimes with technology in mind and sometimes with precision in mind, um... And and the best growers, they'll balance technology precision and especially respecting that ninety percent of the work actually happens in the vineyard. Sure. Yep. You know, you know very well. I mean, as a chef, like, if it's not coming in the back door, worth cooking, it's not. Right. It's not going to make a good dish. It all starts with excellent product. But the thing to know, like I said, we're talking grapes. Nebbiolo is the thing to know. The tricky thing is. 
all of the wines made from Nebbiolo are not labeled Nebbiolo. Okay. The lesser wines made from Nebbiolo are named like Nebbiolo d'Alba, you know, Nebbiolo, uh, Nebbiolo from the Lange, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When they're coming from, when they're the most age-worthy, the best wines, meant to age for a little bit longer. And it can be, in the case of some, Barolo and Barbaresco, 30, 40, 50 years, which is kind of wild. In those cases, they're named for the place. You think about it. When the other grapes, the other red grapes that were popular, Barbera, Dolcetto, Fresa, Grignolino, they all, they all were pretty quick consumption. You mean... You you you. That that's the daily. You make wine. the wine. You drink it. Okay. That's that's right. the that's the daily wine. Mm-hmm. The the Not things. Not age worthy. Yeah, the the things that's for a nice Sunday dinner. The things that are for okay. a holiday. The things that are more serious. The things that are bought and sold a lot are actually the, the age worthy wines, and and those are known by the place. You think about it. And you, because the the nuances of the wines are very different from the different places. Nebbiolo from um, Borolo and even down to like the villages, like Monforte d'Alba is massive. Mm-hmm. You know, Serralunga d'Alba, those wines are massive. You get uh, La Mora within Borolo and the wine tends to be more red fruit than black. Um, still pretty full-bodied, but not quite the power, not the tannin, not the muscle and the breadth of the wines from further south within Barolo. Now take that idea and sprawl it, you know, north and east to Barberesco, right, in those villages, and the wines are very different there. That zone, Barberesco, that, that, that you think of them a lot of times as like king and queen or brother and sister, which while it's sexist, people understand it. When you head north, those wines all have less alcohol, less tannin. Uh, They're still fine. They still have good acidity. They still age, but not the muscle of the others. You do have more fruit flexibility because of that. And that's because it's colder? That's because it's cooler, Cooler. for sure. And the growing season is just different. Shorter, probably. No? Depends. It may be longer to actually get it ripe all the way. Okay, got it. Um... So, but th- that's that that's the Nebbiolo story, and and interesting to explore. Barbera, it just simply Barbera, think acids higher, good intensity, good minerality, very fresh, bright, snappy, handles salty things. Like I almost always like for for pasta in pasta that is in the direction of tomato at all. You know, even just the ragu with a little bit of tomato paste. I always want Barbera, Dolcetto. I would, like Dolcetto is easy. Dolcetto is for a burger. Okay. It, it like wants fat. It wants meat. Dolcetto, dolce is sweet. Dolcetto is a little sweet one. These are sweet berries. They're very like purple in color. Hmm. The juice is very purple. The wine is very purple. Okay. Huh. And uh, and it's just like punchy and fruity. It has good tannin, uh, meaning the tannin's elevated, especially compared to like Barbera, which is just very crisp in comparison. Are they less expensive? They're definitely less expensive okay. than 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 Barolo and Barbaresco. Fresa you see once in a while. It's kind of like a combo of the two, and it's a little spicy. 
But that's and Grignolino is much lighter. That's that's like red wine that was thinking about being rosé, but you know, <laughs> it's later in the day. <laughs> um, but that that's very simple, light, fresh. Barbera is the one that's complex of those three. Are there white grapes in this region? There are. Uh, Cortese is the most famous. There's lots of international grapes that are grown there as well. Gabi is the region that's most famous. Gabi de Gabi is most famous for the Cortese. Uh, one that I like very much. And in the summertime, it's definitely like porch wine of choice for me, Arnés. Mm. And Arnés, a little bit like a little bit like Suave, is built with fruitiness and floral character and, and almost like a little nuttiness, a little bitterness. Maybe, obviously, I can go on and on and That's on ridiculously. It's, and, no, it's great. And we, we can spend time on another program on, on Bimontese menus and items and matching those wines. But there's the quick little guide. And, uh, yeah, and that's all we have time for. If you want to listen to this program or any one of our others, please go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org. Look for the Formula Wolf page. And there's a full menu of programs there for you. If you want to correspond via email... It's foremanwolf at wipr.org. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram as Chef Wolf. And my Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. And thanks for listening. Happy Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>